Sophie. And I'm Allie. And this About Time for True Crime. Hey! Hi! Happy Halloween! Spooky Halloween! If you are listening to this literally any day after the day that it comes out, um, happy day. But if this is Halloween for you, spooky <laughs> Halloween! <laughs> then happy Halloween. Hooray! Um, trick or treat, smell my feet, give me something good to eat. And if you don't, I don't care. I'll pull down your underwear. Promise? Ooh, yeah. <laughs> Ooh, okay. Um, well, I just, I have a couple questions for you all. One is, um, did you partake in Halloween festivities? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, if you did, what did that look like? What did you do? Send us your spooky Halloween costumes. Send us your pod pet costumes too. Oh my good God, please. I want to see all the corgis with their little oh, packages because they're yeah. always UPS men. I don't know why. I love it. I just, I want to see them with their little boxes. PetSmart sent me an email the other day that was like, your, your cat can be the dog from Nightmare Before Christmas. And I was like, ah, yeah, that'd oh. be good because it's like a cape. He wouldn't yeah. let me do anything more than that. <laughs> what did you give him before? Okay. Um, I tried to get him in a Charlie Brown t-shirt thing. That didn't, did not happen. Didn't happen. And then I thought it might work for the next year, but it turns out he wasn't a two-year-old cat when I got him, and he was, in fact, a kitten. So he was no longer three pounds the next uh, year. Okay. So that didn't work. Then I tried to get him a little, like, the same kind of UPS carrying package thing, or I think it's yeah. postal service. And I got some of that on. I got the hat on and the front on. Okay. But that was it. And even that was bloody. And then... Oh, um, <laughs> for, for you, not him. Oh, yeah. No, for me. He's... Listen. He's <laughs> he's feral. He's half... He's like 80% feral. Yeah. He is definitely more feral than not feral. And also, he's he's a Norwegian forest cat. So Apparently. He's they say... He's an little guy, allegedly. Yeah. According to his it. DNA. I see it in the face and I see it, frankly, in his um, uh, making everything pray. Yep. But anyway. Um, <laughs> and that's P-R-E-Y. Yes. He's not making everybody well, bow down. <laughs> Although <laughs> he does have a God complex. He does have a God complex. And also, if he was making me his pray E-Y, I would want to pray A-Y. <laughs> That is true. And again, we are still talking about a, what, six, seven, eight pound cat here? Oh, yeah. He's um up to nine. He is. He's tripled in size. What a good boy. Yeah. Yeah. They totally lied to you when they yeah. said he was two. I was like, hmm, is he even bad with other dogs or other cats? He, they did say he was bad with dogs and bad with people and bad with cats. And so far, the people thing has mostly checked out. The dog thing has not, though. He has been around a dog, and that actually went well, and they were, like, in the same place for a while, but they were separated okay. by a door, okay. and then they met each other, and he was fine. They just, like, went opposite directions, but I also think part of that is because he's nine pounds, and the dog is, like, a husky, so... That'll do it. He was like, okay, game recognizes game. I'm gonna go sit over there. Yeah. So that worked out. At so least I'm he knew of, when to stop. Yeah, I, I haven't seen him... Uh, do that yet <laughs> well i'm really hopeful that this year he is rootin tootin newton yes my roommate got him a little cowboy hat so 
we're very much looking forward to Rootin' Tootin' Newton. Oh, I'll send Rootin' Tootin' Newton pics to all of you. Don't worry. Yes, keep an eye on our Instagram page. Shameless plug about time for true crime pod with periods in between the words. So that's... No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I don't know what we're going to... I don't think we're doing anything for the, the kitties. Mia... Mia's never dressed up. It's never really been her thing. Mm -hmm. And Oliver is too small. I'm afraid he'll get hurt. Yeah. He's also, he gets the zoomies like, you know how cats, the post shit zoomies, they just like, they take off. He has post poop zoomies 25-8. This cat is constantly, unless he's snugging you, which is very sweet. He is on the move. He's playing. He's got things to do, people to see. He's a literal toddler. Like, he will go until he's so tired that he keeps going just to not fall asleep, and then he'll pass out on you. And then he just, like, rolls over and falls asleep wherever Mm -hmm. he just laid down. So I know I could get something on him because he's, he would be okay with it, I think, because he's not, like, a. he's teething and his claws are really sharp, but he's not aggressive or not at that time where he's, like, practicing it (laughs) but i am like wow he runs around so fast the last thing i need is for it to get caught on something and like jolt him back and him to get hurt so we're gonna be brainstorming what we can do Mm -hmm. maybe i could get him like rip off pants you know how that you know when they so funny little little fake pants or something or a little rip off something so if he wants to do zoomies um, he can and it's not concerning because as edna mode said no No capes (laughs) well with that i think we should get into our case yeah let's do it well so you skipper stop skipping uh soup's on and by soup i mean murder podcast pod's on pod pod because this is coming out on halloween day it just (laughs) happened to be a tuesday yes i wanted to give us a very spooky halloween like case today Yes. So the case that we are talking about is actually one that is regarded as the spirit who solved her own murder. What? Mm-hmm. Excuse me. Uh-huh. Okay. So, hi, hello, and welcome back to your favorite true crime podcast. You guys. We love you so much. Thank you for saying that. A reminder to all of you to, as always, please keep your hands, arms, feet, and legs inside the podcast at all times. It's going to be a bumpy ride. Make sure that shoulder harness is tight. Your shoulder harness, baby. Right here. (laughs) Right here, honey. Click it in. Click it or tick it, you know? Somebody loves you. Somebody loves you. And that's my favorite sign. And that's, you know, that's also the ATFTC fam would not be the same without you. So you need to be safe. Yeah. Be good and um, listen up. Okay. Okay. All right. So we're going to talk about Zona Heaster today. Get in the Zona. Now it's spelled Z-O-N-A. So I heard it pronounced as you're still laughing at your own joke. (laughs) Uh, Get in the Zona. Auto Zona. Um, (laughs) Well, we're going to have to take that out. So (laughs) it's I think it's pronounced Zona. I've seen it also as Zana, but I think it's. I can't really ask her. We're talking about something that started in the 1800s. Got it. Got it. Got it. So Mm -hmm. I don't know that I'd get confirmation of that even if I wanted to. (laughs) So it is. Because it's from a long time ago, please give me a little bit of slack with the dates. Uh, It's really difficult to get things that are like exact, but know that if I could find it in several sources and not just one, 
and it, they seemed reputable, then I'm giving it to you. Got it. Okay. okay. So let's start with Zona. All right. She was actually Elva Zona Heaster, but she did go by her middle name, and I think that's what her loved ones called her, so we'll, we'll call her that. All right. Zona. And she was born in 1873 in Greenbrier, West Virginia. And I don't exactly know why I always imagine 1800 cases that we're solving like across the pond in mm-hmm. England. I just always imagine them British. Okay. Don't ask me Fair. why. I have no idea. No, actually same. I wasn't. I mean, I don't know necessarily British, but I certainly wasn't thinking West Virginia Mountain Mama, you know? No. Okay. And that's where we're going to be today. That's actually where we're spending the duration of our case. We're just in this little, this little town, this little area. Okay. So, Zona was actually very close to her family, and she was described as very innocent and very pure. Okay. But when she was 22, she did what at the time was considered unspeakable, and she had a child out of wedlock. <gasps> Just kidding, girl. You got it. Um, her mom did support her, and from what I can tell, she had other family members, but primarily the only family member we really talk about here in terms of immediate family, is her mom. Okay. So that's Mary Jean, Mary Jane Heaster, and we'll talk a lot about Mary Jane. Oh, Mary Jane. Oh, Mary Jane. And not the one you're thinking of. Get your head out of the gutter. Mm-hmm. Now, she was very protective over her daughter. She didn't want her to be taken advantage of or hurt. And so when Zona was starting to date and all of those things, I mean, she did have a little one at home, but she was kind of like, okay, who is this guy, though? Okay. And I don't know if... Maybe her pregnancy was a result of somebody taking advantage of her. I don't know. I don't know anything about that. I know it was out of wedlock. I know that there is no literature to suggest that I could find that the dad of the child was playing an active role or anything like that. So all of that to say, her mom was just very protective over her. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think, you know, especially if she's someone who's described as like very pure or innocent, that kind of lends itself to that protective mama bear vibe, but also to have scrutiny from having a child out of wedlock. And then on top of that, if that were to be a result of something more sinister, I could totally understand that. I think that's what it was. And I think that they proximity wise, it wasn't a big place where they lived, where they were living at the time was not like this big city where there was a lot of people. Everybody knew each other. Everybody knew the story you know you knew the families you knew you knew details about families you knew things like that and so ultimately her mom was a little like okay when zona declared that she liked a guy Ooh. so this guy his name and get this it's erasmus stribling trout shoe (laughs) okay sorry now Um he would later change his name to edward but at this time, and in all documents that were printed at the time, it, he was known as Trout Shoe. T R O U T S H U E. Wild. I'm going to call him Trout because, again, at the time, right. the locals, that's what he was known as, even though later he changed his name to Edward. Um, but if you get a chance to call somebody Trout, you take it, okay? Absolutely. So um, I am definitely <laughs> rolling with that. And I cannot for the life of me understand what was up with these names at the time. Like, they held their sweet, dear, baby, infant son. And they said Erasmus Stribling (laughs) Trout Shoe. 
Well, and the thing is, like, a name like Trout Shoe sounds like it could be a tough translation of maybe a native name of kind, but it doesn't sound like that was his roots. And it also is wild to combine that with what is it, Erasmus? Erasmus. I'm, I'm hung up on stribbling. Str- yeah, I was going to say. Like, is that like a dribble? But stribbling, a, you know what I'm saying? Is that I are was you scribbling? scribbling? Yeah. So um, is it when you scribble and it rains, like it's drizzling, or and a, it dribbles and scribbles? A scribble of a dribble. Uh, it's very confusing, but I will say I think he's one ATFTC's most fascinating name to date. I will have to agree with you, and, and um, that's I, pretty impressive. I have to say that I have more questions than answers on that. So <laughs> that's where we're gonna leave him. So we're gonna talk a little bit about Trout. Okay. And again, I'm not calling him Edward because oh, fuck hell that. No, we're this saying is, Trout. This is Trout. So anyway, Trout. Trout baby. Because we're not calling him Edward here. Okay. I I think I might even go more formal and call him Trout Shoe. Trout Shoe. Yeah. Now is it Trout Shoe or Trout Shoe? You know, like um, do you you know how sometimes you can Yeah, I I would combine them. And here's why. Not because I think it's right. I just it reminds me of a trout wearing a shoe or a shoe made of trout and I think that's real funny. So <laughs> Well, then by all means, you do you just take care of you, baby. Oh, okay. Tell me about Trout Shoe. Now, he was actually more than a decade older than her. Okay, so I, I'm starting to see the moms. So he's in his mid-30s. She's in her, you know, early 20s here. Okay. Again, she's got a young child. And uh, he was born in either 1861 or 1862. We don't even know. But we do know that she was born in 1873. So he's got a okay. decade on her. Uh, solid dates this long ago were hard to come by. Absolutely. Again, so just know that it's not for lack of research that I couldn't find that. But spoiler, uh, Zona and Trout do get married. Okay. After she tells him that she's into him. Okay. So she declares that she is, uh. Do you think Trout Shoe or Trout Shoes for his wedding? Yeah, I do. I hope so. I do. I do hope so. But Trout was... Uh, as John Mulaney would say, new in town. <laughs> because uh, when Zona married Trout, yeah, she was not his first wife. Oh. She was not even his second wife. Trout shoe. Uh, she was actually his third wife. And here I was thinking socks had the highest divorce rate. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> oh, my. That was <laughs> just such a. Are you, you've got to put in a there. Ba-dum-tsh. Yeah, thanks. Especially with Trout Shoe. That really, that felt really all-encompassing. That was a well-rounded dad joke. All right. (laughs) Ma'am, this is a Wendy's. Uh, But for Trout, it was third time's the charm, apparently, because, you know, he found love. He found her. So Trout was actually first married to a woman named Ellen. Okay. They married in 1885. They had one child together, but they divorced after about three years of marriage, which just as frowned upon as a child out of wedlock was divorce. Right. Uh, so we've got that. Is it better for the child if you were born in marriage, but your parents got divorced? Couldn't tell you. Anyway, sorry. Can't tell you. Their daughter, the child that they had, ended up being raised by Ellen's parents. So... From what I can tell, Trout was not winning any Father of the Year awards because of all of this. But after this divorce, he was actually arrested for horse theft. 
Oh, trout shoe. And spent two years in prison, which my question is, was that the equivalent of Grand Theft Auto at the time? <laughs> Maybe. Probably. Maybe. But after he was released, he was like back out in the courting field, if you will. And Ooh. he met a very nice girl named Lucy Tritt. Lucy Tritt and Trout Shoe. Yes. Very shortly after meeting, they were married. And shortly after that, Lucy was dead. Oh. There are no formal records pertaining to her death. But the rumors ranged in severity from a literal slip and fall. Okay. Slipping on ice. To him poisoning her, killing her in another way. Trout. And it's said that she was pregnant at the time. Trout. But again, it's really hard for me to confirm any of that if we don't even have any kind of death records. Right. So then after that, he's back on the field again for number three. So after the death of his second wife, he wanted to start over. He moved to a new area. This area is where he meets Zona at Greenbrier, West Virginia. He began work as a blacksmith, a trade that he wasn't working in before but he actually learned from his dad because that's what his dad did oh nice and for all intents and purposes he was kind of just this average guy kind of starting over and really you could move like an hour away and nobody knew who you were especially in this time so you could kind of do what you wanted to do so zona had gone with her family to this local blacksmiths why did that why was that so difficult for me to say blacksmiths anyway went to the blacksmith shop uh, which is where she met the new man in town, Trout Shoe. And that's and when she decided she liked new him. new in town. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think her mom was there when they met or something like that. So later when she comes home and said, ooh, mom, I love him. She's like, mm, I don't know about that. Maybe Jesus just, just met a Trout Shoe. Like, that's just a little soon. But she was immediately smitten. And for some reason, her mom didn't want her to jump into marriage with him. I mean, it it could have been for the obvious reasons. She didn't know him that well because she just met him. Where the fuck is his kid and why isn't he present Right for his child? He isn't really known in the area, so there was little they could do to verify what he said. Right. right? It's a lot of trust. There's no Google. There's no any of that. There's no looking at former addresses or like sending a text message or messaging on Facebook to anybody that knew this guy. So what's going on here? Right. It's just a guy in his 30s sets up shop in your neighborhood, and he could have any number of stories of how and why he got there, and you, can, you can't really confirm or deny that. No, not and not this far away in the 1800s, period. You know yeah. what I mean? Just no, period. seriously. And I do wonder if her mom, Mary Jane, just like had this feeling or bad impression, or just this like gut instinct to not like him. But whatever it was, she cautioned her against marrying him. Well, and it sounds like she has valid reasons anyway. But you know, Mary Jane does make you paranoid. Stop. Enough from you. (laughs) Okay, okay, I'm done. (laughs) But seriously, Zona actually didn't listen to her mom's cautions. Again, like I said, they ended up getting married, but they got married in the fall of 1896. Trout shoes now a trout pair. Oh, you are just rapid fire today, huh? I I took my meds. (laughs) (laughs) And where are those and where can I put them? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um, But they did get married after literal weeks. And maybe that was just sort of a sign of the time, a very brief courting process. She already had a child. Maybe there was some other, like, outside pressures. Right. 
encouraging them to like okay let's make this official let's make this look good even if it isn't good right so they get married in the fall 1896 but then we fast forward to january 23rd 1897 okay so just a couple of months yeah they got through the fall into the winter yep so we're we're middle of winter here and zona and trout are in the thick of it andy jones arrives at their home he is a little neighborhood boy. Oh. They would often have Andy over to do chores and housework and things like that. And I think they'd pay him. Cute. But he would just kind of do things around the house. So it wasn't uncommon for him to be at the house. Now, the story kind of differs here. There's a couple of different versions. So I'll give you both. Okay. One version is that Andy's mom either worked in the blacksmith shop with Trout or was in that area. Okay. And Andy went to his mom. Trout said, hey, could you run to our house since you know where it is? Um, and ask Zona if she needs anything from the market. Okay. So he might have been going there anyway to do the chores or anything like that. Gets there and that's why he's at the house. Or the other thing is, is just that he was expected to do chores there anyway. But it is kind of a mixed bag you get whether it was trout that sent him to the house or not okay regardless andy jones shows up when he opened the door he didn't find zona in the kitchen or readying laundry or anything like that he found her lying on her back at the foot of the stairs oh her legs were together she had one arm by her side and the other across her abdomen her head was turned to the side, but her eyes were open without seeing. Ooh. And the boy, even though he was young, knew immediately that she was dead. And that's when he ran home. Good boy. ran to his mom. And either he or the mother told Trout what he had just seen. Okay. So the mother also called for police in Good. whatever way that they did that at that time. And the local doctor slash coroner, it was one guy that did both. <laughs> he was there about an hour later. But by the time he arrived, Trout had already moved her body. She was no longer at the foot of the stairs, but she was in their bedroom. He moved her upstairs? He did. Okay. The coroner, which his name is Dr. George Knapp. Oh. K-N-A-P-P. Yes, I said pee-pee. There's so many good things in that once. And I said I was done with the dad jokes, but my God, you make it hard. Do I? Yeah. Stop. You make the pee-pee <laughs> hard for Dr. Nap the corner. Oh, my. Okay. He needs a long sleep. Stop it. <laughs> so Dr. Nap shows up again an hour later, but he was kind of surprised to find that she was already prepped for burial. What? She had been washed. She had been cleaned up. She had been changed and, like, prepared. She was in a a very nice dress that she was going to be buried in. Trout had done all of these things. Trout, you had a busy-ass hour, my friend. And Dr. Knapp had tried to do his initial once-over of the body, but Trout was seemingly so distraught and just consumed by his grief that he wouldn't leave her body. In fact, he didn't even really let the doctor get close enough to see much of her body in the first place. Trout. He had dressed her in a high neck, stiff collared dress. Okay. 
and he'd had a, a veil pulled over her face. Aww. And the coroner said her cause of death was an everlasting faint. What? Exactly. Dr. Knapp. And then he later <gasps> changed it to complications during childbirth or issues with pregnancy, but almost everything I saw said complications from childbirth. Okay. Her burial was swift, and she was laid to rest within a few days. Okay. But a couple things here. First, I was completely blown away that her body had been moved or altered in any way before anyone else was on scene. Yeah. And I probably had my modern thinking cap on and just assumed that she'd be brought to like a funeral home after the investigators were done with what they needed to do, and then it would be kind of swift and out of the house and all of that, and an undertaker would prepare the body, and then it, right. then they would have some kind of service, whatever that looked like. But I had to do a little bit of research into what funerals and the steps before the funeral were like at this time. Remember, we're in the late 1800s. Right. The concept of a funeral home actually did exist at this time, which was news to me after I realized, oh, shit, this is not how they probably did it back then. So apparently right. funeral homes or whatever they were probably called at the time were in existence, but they weren't everywhere. Okay. And they weren't in this small West Virginia town for sure. Yeah. Like all things in the 1800s, there were no fast, like sweeping practices that took effect immediately. Yeah. Policy and procedure seems uh, non-standardized at best. It took time, money, resources, and that was if you even heard of it in the first place. Right. So there was no guarantee. In this place and at this time, it was actually common practice for the family and neighbors to prepare the body to be buried. I... That's awful. Like, and and it would primarily be the women. So it was not really something that <sighs> any male family members or male neighbors were taking part in. It would be the women who would wash the body, clean them up, make them look how they would want to look right. for viewing, right? As much as they could do to respect that bury in the nicest that they had, something, right. something modest and, you know, just make them look like them. Yeah. While being respectful of all of that. And again, primarily neighbor women, family, all that stuff. Yeah. I feel like if it, I know this is a very gender role take on it, but I f have a feeling that's a lot of how the late 1800s were. I feel like if the men were to do anything, it's probably like digging the holes and right, dealing yeah. with the outdoor work. Part yeah. That of it. wasn't their role. This was. And I think for a, a lot of them, it was kind of their last time to be with them and there was a sense oh, of yeah. pride of restoring them to how they would want to look right and it's a different kind of closure and processing like as much as it sucks to think about having to be the one to do that I can also respect that at a time where you didn't have a standardized process of people who did it for you who made this sort of um last respect last wishes come true that it would be really cathartic to be the one to do that. Exactly. And I think what struck them at the time as odd was not that these things were done in the home, right? Because this was actually common. These things were done in the home or somebody's right. home to make the preparation. But it was odd that the husband did all of these things because well, that wasn't common. And did it so fast and dragged her upstairs to do it like may maybe that's just me getting caught up on that but I feel like that's a lot of work well it is and I mean he certainly would have to carry her up there but that is some very fast turnaround yeah I mean within 
probably an hour or two of her being dead, she is ready to be in the ground, which is not common. No. Although you fast. would have to act quickly, right? You mm-hmm. the time is not uh infinite, especially in the process. I mean, obviously once you die, there's a lot of changes that we're not gonna get into here, but is it doesn't need to be swift, yes, but that swift and by him, no. Right. The second thing that I had a really big issue with, uh I just want to issue a big fat what the fuck to the coroner. Yep. Because it seemed like he just declared her cause of death as whatever the easiest thing was to check off on his notepad. A forever faint. An everlasting oh, faint. Oh, I'm so sorry. Which sounds very enchanted and this whimsical. Will be an everlasting faint. You know, like, it just seems so fairy tale esque Yeah. What you're saying is what? She f- fell asleep and didn't wake up? Like... When a very healthy woman in her early 20s drops dead, seemingly, by something you can't determine and don't even try to, that's an issue. And while I I know that our medical care and everything has come really far since then, I'm not saying that it might not have been more... Like, obviously, it was more common for you to die younger then. I get that. Right. But there was no illness sweeping through their village. There was no, right. there wasn't anything that they could point to to say, yes, this is what killed her. And that is concerning when you are otherwise a healthy young 20 something. Right. And that should be jarring, not just, oh, and then this childbirth thing came out of nowhere. Right. But even though he's not an investigator, I mean, he, he may not have been trained to handle the family. Right. Okay. Because Trout was there and supposedly he was very distraught. He was weeping. He was sobbing. The theatrics were, you know, a flowing where were, it was it was a scene. It was a show. And he was very protective of her. He didn't really want her to be touched. And he was kind of staying by her head and like cradling her and became mm. inconsolable when the coroner even like approached so the coroner's like, I'm not going to cause more harm than good. Right. I'm just going to call it this thing, even though you cause more harm than good without determining the answer. And honestly, remove trout from there. Yeah. You have a job to do. <laughs> and that's what should be done. I just I really struggle with like cause of death not being treated. Carefully. And yeah. Without with priority. W- yeah. With a level of attention to it, because this person is deceased now. Yep. And that is actually your job to determine or do what you can to determine. If the answers aren't there, you can't figure it out. That's not on you. Right. But if you can't figure it out because you won't take the steps necessary to look, that is different. But she should not have been prepared to be buried before the coroner got to do what he needed to do. So the order of things is completely whacked here. Or frankly, even if the fuck she was, he still has due diligence to go in and look. And then if she has to be prepared more again later, so be it. But then that's what needs to happen. Right. I think it, it's another layer of respect for the dead. You know, um, just the idea of I, I can appreciate not wanting to cause more harm or to wanting to let people sort of grieve in the way that they need to. And I agree with those things. Well, then Trout needs to grieve downstairs for exactly. the for the 15 minutes that, it you t- know, family should be there and be supportive and all of these things. But you shouldn't bend the rules based on his very odd like i don't know attachment grief yeah not to say that it's odd and that he was but we'll talk more about later why 
It's odd. Okay. I'm sure. Yeah. All of that to say her death was initially ruled as pretty much nothing. Yeah. And then it was changed to childbirth. But here's the kicker. Uh, there was no evidence that she was pregnant. Great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was wondering. And I'm, I'll be honest. I'm not great at math. Yeah. But I am good enough at math to know that she wasn't dying birthing his child. Because oh, certainly they not. married in October, and now she is dead in January. Well, and frankly, uh, even if it had been another out-of-wedlock scenario, they didn't know each other more than a few months before that, or a few weeks before Well, exactly. That. So what, at max, it's an August baby? That's still too soon. Like <laughs> No, and that's because she wasn't pregnant. There's exactly. no reason for us to believe that. So I definitely have a bone to pick with the coroner. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and his ability to do his job. Mr. Nappy P. I also, <laughs> again, just really struggle with the fact that a seemingly healthy woman in her mid-20s could drop dead. And he was comfortable, both professionally and morally, you know, throwing in the towel and saying, yeah, that seems to be not shit happens, you know? Just yep. kind of one of those. It just didn't seem like the attention was given that it absolutely should have. Whether you didn't want to hurt this guy's feelings, you were afraid of him, whatever. That is your job. Yeah. It's the service you provide, so you should be providing it. It's also hard because I want to hold him to the standards that we have of today, but I I don't know norms and practices at this time. So, like, part of me is curious you know, does it take the coroner to start an investigation if somebody's dead in the 1800s or does that naturally happen? And if not, you know, what does that look like? What is his authority in that situation? And uh, how do you know whether or not you're going to be protected from Trout Shoes blacksmith sword that he's been making mm-hmm. all week, you know? Well, exactly. And even... Even if it wasn't going to be some invasive, you know, as we would consider today an autopsy, right? Right. I mean, that is quite the process. I'm not asking for that. But do an outer visual. What he did actually make note of was that there was some bruising around the neck. Okay. She did have that high-necked dress on, but some bruising was visible above it. Okay. But when he tried to look more at that trout became increasingly more agitated and distraught and so that's when he backed off so he noted that there was some bruising there but he didn't even look he didn't Mm. even try he just said eh and he left it a little blue all right so at the funeral many noted that the widower was acting strange okay trout shoe what you doing and you know that Really, I hate to give credit to anybody's opinion of whether or not someone's grieving the right way because there is no right way to grieve and we're all going to do it differently and we may even surprise ourselves with how we react. But just as many people as they say that you're doing this the right way, there'll be as many people saying you did it the wrong way. So really, at the end of the day, does it matter? No. Not a lot. Not usually. What was odd about his behavior... But he kept going up to the body, and he was rearranging things. What you care about that for, Trousho? Let's on a bee. Well, that's it. Because he would move the pillow from behind her head. Then he would put it back, and then he adjusted the collar around her neck, the 
the dress he'd move that a little bit and kind of like scoot it up and then he would undo what he did and he wouldn't really let anybody get up close enough to see her which was odd and then when he was rearranging the veil over her face because that really covered most of her he then added some kind of scarf and that covered her face as well and even everyone else kind of noted that the scarf didn't like go. It wasn't like part of the dress that was like it wasn't it was part of just the, an additional scarf, the ensemble, you know, to be buried in. And apparently right. he said, no, no, this is her favorite scarf. Like she needs to be buried with this. She'd want this. It didn't need to cover her face. And it wasn't one that anybody thought was like her favorite scarf. Although if anyone would know I me, mean, you'd hope it'd be her husband. But still, that was it yeah. was just. It was this really odd visual of he wouldn't even sit down. Like, he stayed up there. Like a fucking bodyguard. Wouldn't let anybody else. Acted very concerned and upset, but then tried to cover her all up. Okay. And pretty much everybody in attendance took notice of this behavior. Yeah, that's not, so, that's saying something. So it was weird. Oh, I bet Mary Jane's fucking pissed. Well, speaking of Mary Jane, she was understandably devastated. Yeah. Right? Her daughter in her mid-20s died unexpectedly. She never really liked Trout. She just didn't trust the guy, but she didn't have any tangible reason as to why she should hate him or anything like that. She just wasn't a fan. And there had been a sheet that was kind of like folded and put behind Zona's head in the casket. Um, to kind of like prop her up and for some reason I couldn't find the reason but apparently she took that sheet the mom did Mary Jane okay. did and just took it home are we talking like a bed sheet I believe like so linens? Okay. yeah like something just something small enough to be folded up to like tuck okay but, but not like a piece of paper kind of sheet oh no no no, okay. no. yeah no like linen Um, but she knew in her heart that the truth hadn't come out she just had this gut feeling. She just wanted to be able to ask her daughter what happened to her. She needed to hear it from her. And if yeah. she said it was childbirth or she said it was this or that or the other thing, she just needed, she felt like she needed to hear it. Because her mom's also like, she wasn't pregnant. Right. And she, if even if she was, it would have been early enough where she wasn't dying of complications of childbirth. Right. At this point. So she leans into her faith. She prayed for answers. She just wanted to hear something. And she didn't want to hear it from anybody else. She wanted to hear it from her daughter. Okay. And then weeks after her daughter's death, something very strange started to happen. Oh. Four nights in a row, Mary Jane had a dream. Okay. And it would be a very similar dream. Her daughter appeared to her. Mm -hmm. More specifically, actually, her daughter's ghost. So it was her spirit, not... Her daughter as she remembered her, but that it was this white light that kind of gathered and then took human form and then made the room really cold. This is what she recalls. Okay. She said that her daughter told her that Trout was abusive, that he was not a good man. And on the day that she died, they'd argued. Oh. And that her husband had broken her neck. Trout shoe. And then Mary Jane said that the ghost turned away from her, but 
she turned her head all the way around. Mm. Like, think exorcist, but split the difference. Like, a 180. Yeah. And her body faced away from Mary Jane, but the head turned around. And she was pretty much saying, like, this is how far he broke my neck. This is... Oh. He, th- like, my neck was broken. And just kept reiterating that her neck was broken to her mother. Okay. So, apparently, the ghost begged for her to make sure that the truth was known. And after those four nights, those four same dreams, Mary Jane was convinced that her son-in-law had murdered her daughter. Yeah. I get that. She had asked for answers, and there it was. It certainly felt like she got them, it sounds like. Now, I don't know what you all believe. Mm -hmm. There will be a wide range of opinions on this, and I'm in the the camp that I'd say I don't know. I don't believe we're alone here. Mm-hmm. I don't think we're alone at all. I believe that our loved ones who have died can communicate with us in ways that aren't explainable. Yeah. Call me kooky. And sometimes even I feel like I can feel the presence of my loved ones and I can't describe that, right? Yeah. So if it's not real, it's a comfort. Yeah. But I do think it's real. And I know I sound out there. I believe that there are people who have gifts who might have the ability to see or hear things the rest of us might not. I believe in psychics. I do not believe in all psychics or people (laughs) that claim to be psychics. And there's just so much of this has been made profitable. And I don't know, it's been manipulated. And it's almost like hallmarky at this point. So I take a lot of what I hear with the big grain of salt. But I also, more than anything, believe in intuition. Yes. And I believe... Many of us have it with our families. I have had bad feelings that think something was going to happen and something happened. Right. I will call a family member and they will say, I was just picking up the phone to call you. Yeah. There are just some things that I think were connected in a little bit, a little bit further on a deeper level or layer than, than you are with everybody else. Right. Well, you know, I have a couple of, takes on it I agree to an extent I don't I haven't spent the time to formally figure out how to articulate everything I believe but I do know that being someone who was raised religious it's even mentioned in the bible as a biblical thing to you know our loved ones are closer than we think that the spirit world is more intertwined with the real world than we might believe And, you know, it acknowledges the presence of some like mediums or people who can speak to people beyond our realm, if that's what we want to call it. And I will say that as someone who knows enough science, I'm not a scientist, dear God, but knows enough science to know that we are all sharing some vibration of the same atoms and particles for the people that you come from. I think that has some sort of connection that you just simply cannot have with people that you don't share that with. I came from you. I came from your energy. I came from everything in you. To me, that there's something more than just DNA sharing there. I don't know. I'd love you guys to tell us what you think. Yes. What your beliefs are. Are you a spooky, scary skeleton girly? Gender neutral, do you believe? I just... I. I think some people have it. Not everybody has it. No, I don't think Not even most of the people I think say they have it, have it. No. (laughs) But some do. And, you know, believe what you want to believe. 
be kind to other people. All of that to say, Mary Jane believed those dreams. Yeah. And I'm not ignorant to the fact that she's a grieving mother who is begging for answers. So was it a self-fulfilling prophecy? Could have been. Maybe. Could have been she wanted that so bad it happened. Right? Yep. She actually had those dreams because she wanted that said to her. And our brains are very odd. And and fucking powerful. They can do a lot of things. You know, was it what she wanted to hear and her broken heart just gave it to her? But if anyone were to have intuition to just know things without a logical, tangible reason, wouldn't it make sense that it would be the mother? You'd think. Isn't that the strongest love, the most powerful bond that we're supposed to be able to have is between mother and child? You'd think. That's supposed to be the most sacred and powerful and all of that. And so if anyone could, wouldn't these be the circumstances? Right. And... Is it also possible, which I do also fully believe this is possible, that she made it up to spark interest into looking into the case? Also very possible. She might not have ever had that. She might have just thought this and said, well, this is a way, this is my inch in, let me wedge my way in there. So it it could be any variation of the things we've just talked about. It could be none of those things. Right. There's a lot of room here, but it is said that she had these dreams she believed them. Her daughter told her from beyond that she was murdered by her own husband and her neck was broken. That's so spooky Halloween of you. Okay. It's crazy, right? It is. So there's a lot to unpack. Okay. Was it the truth or was it strategy? Por que no los dos? Uh, I don't know. In the words of our great modern philosopher Taylor Swift, strategy sets the scene for the tale. If you will. If you say so. Um, I'm sure Swifty will correct me, but I believe so. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm sure they will. This was also confirmed for her when she washed the sheet that she took. Oh. So this was a white sheet, right? Sure. The one she took from the funeral? Yeah. When she washed it, she says that the water turned red. Oh. And the once white sheet was a fair pink color and that pink color could not come out of it she wasn't able to get the stains out spooky which is pretty intense now mary jane went straight to the prosecutor's office because she wanted something done about this yeah this was a matter of weeks after her daughter's death she's had four nights of this same dream so she's like i have a lot to say and you're gonna hear it buddy yes so she told him all about the dreams about her daughter's broken neck and she said that her son-in-law had murdered her and that he needed to be arrested and justice needed to be served damn mary jane going straight for the jugular whether the prosecutor believed her or not i don't know now his name is john preston so i'll kind of call him like attorney preston or something like that along the way but no that's who we're talking about that's the prosecutor prosecutor yes okay whether he believed her is kind of a toss-up, but it was enough for him to look on it further. Okay. He spoke with the coroner, Dr. Knapp, and asked what he could tell him about the autopsy, right? Or his initial sort of once-over of the situation. And sure. Dr. Knapp kind of admitted that he hadn't really done a thorough examination because the husband was so distraught. He didn't want to upset him. Okay, Knapp, 
He also said that it was noticeable that she had bruising on her neck. That definitely could have been from being choked, but it went unconfirmed. Sure. And that he kind of took a shot in the dark with the cause of death because the husband had said she was pregnant. You so, don't fucking say you don't. everlasting faint. Which is like probably a good name for like a carnival ride or something yeah. or like a some kind of Mixed children's <laughs> something. Yeah. Or like a, a whimsical martini name. Yeah. But definitely not a cause of death for a woman when that isn't what happened because what even is that? I mean, it was probably a blanket statement for some of the yeah. things they couldn't explain at the time. And I'm not looking at this through the lens that he would have all of the knowledge we have today. But my God. Anything deeper would have been appreciated. Anything other than that. But the attorney, the prosecutor, attorney Preston was like, okay, well, that was interesting. <laughs> so he's like, well, I can't let this go. You know, it wasn't like yeah. he found out from the coroner yeah we did this whole thing this is definitely how she died right you know this that and that all this stuff so yeah we're sure no her neck wasn't broken okay was not the case right so he was i think the attorney and he was, was like probably if we noted like, anything it was on the neck yes right but he's probably like oh i was kind of hoping that you would have said you did a good yeah. job okay so let well, me ask damn. around town Okay. So then he asks around town and he says, hey, all of you that went to the funeral, did you notice anything weird? How did that go? And they said, yes, he was very fixated around her neck. We don't know why. He wouldn't really let anybody go toward her head and he kept covering her face and that was really odd. But other than that, things were fine. But everybody noted his behavior, which was not... shoot to the head. Which was not... (laughs) Stop it. Sorry. Which was not common for the time, right? Yeah. So the attorney still may not have believed it wholeheartedly, but it was enough to make a formal request that the body be exhumed. Okay. We love to hear it. We love to see it. After it was, another look at the body confirmed that her neck had, in fact, been broken. A local paper, it was called the Pocahontas Times, had really written almost all of the results of the autopsy. Um, This is all included in the book My Neighbor's Ghost by Katie Letcher-Lyle. It's actually a really good read and I would recommend it. Ooh, okay. But this part of the article was printed. It said, On the throat were the marks of fingers indicating that she had been choking, that the neck was dislocated between the first and second vertebrae. The ligaments were torn and ruptured. The windpipe had been crushed at a point in the front of the neck. Damn. So very clearly yeah. not not a slip and fall that could have accidentally resulted in that. This was the result of force from the front to the neck. To her neck and then broken her neck and then right. after that. So pretty intense. Indeed. It also said all other portions and organs of the body, with the exception of the neck, were apparently in a perfectly healthy state. Would you look at that? Which meant that there was no note at all that she was even pregnant at the time Mm. of her death. Makes you think. Sure does. So at this point, the prosecutor knows her neck's broken, right? In a way that she could not have done herself. Right. And that this was the cause of death. So we can scratch whatever the fuck was written before because this is what's accurate now. Okay. But the person telling him this was her mother. 
So who's to say that she's not the murderer? I mean, she's the one with this information. Nobody else right. said her neck. No one else did this. How does she know that then? Right? Makes you a little suspicious. Spooky ooky. We didn't know it then, but we certainly know now their murderer is actually likely to input themselves into the investigation. We sure do. So that kind of is not a great check mark in her column. Right. But then they look into Trout's past. Trout shoe. They made contact with his first wife, Mm -hmm. right? Ellen, the one who they divorced a couple years after marriage. And they said, how was your marriage to him? What's, what kind of guy is he like? And she said, oh, he was just so good. He'd always run a bath for me. Oh. He packed my lunch and left me little sticky notes. <laughs> yeah, he did none of that. Of course um, not. He was actually very abusive toward her. And that, that led to their divorce. He was not a nice man. Um, he was very violent. He beat her regularly. He was just very abusive. Okay. So they did not get the warm and fuzzies about this guy and how he... He wasn't just like the best guy ever and we were such good friends in college, but I was afraid to tell him I only liked him as a friend kind of guy. Correct. Yeah. So then they start kind of looking into when he was incarcerated, right? He did do two years for horse theft. Right. And he had apparently boasted and bragged to other inmates that he intended to marry seven women in his lifetime. Seven? Yep. So he just wanted all, right. all of these different marriages. And so right now, if you've been counting, that would put him at three. He's almost halfway. And then there was the mysterious death of his second wife. Okay. That was really unconfirmed. And I'm like, is it the same fucking coroner? Is it I mean, really. An everlasting faint. We just don't know. Yeah. There's nothing concrete we can find. But everyone did kind of note that it was mysterious. Like, it was odd that there wasn't something in writing for that. And that it, too, seemed to be a violent death. I mean, like, it it was either a slip and fall on ice that, Uh like, I don't know, was her neck broken? Uh We don't know. But it seemed pretty not good. And then the rumors went before all of this. The rumor was that he had killed her. Right. Lots to think about. But with all of these things in mind, Trout was arrested for Zona's murder. Ew. Do you think that Trout Shoe is coming untied? You are just... <laughs> it's S-H-U-E. <laughs> Ma'am. My ear doesn't know that. My ear doesn't care. <laughs> well, in June of 1897, the trial began. So this is just June of that same year. Okay. The state's star witness was Mary Jane Heaster herself. Okay, Mary Jane. Preston had wanted to keep the ghost and paranormal talk really out of it. So as for it to not get thrown out, at the very least, just be considered hearsay. But honestly, it had everybody's attention. Uh, It wasn't, it was not the narrative throughout the whole thing because they did base most of their case on his history, his first wife's testimony that he was very abusive and violent his second wife's mysterious death his third wife's now mysterious death yeah all odd things the neck being broken did not look like something that could have been done by zona herself Mm -mm. and 
nobody else was said to be even around their home at that time. Other than a child who walked in after the fact. Who found her and she was already dead and already cold. Right. So he didn't walk in, kill her, and leave. Mm-hmm. Lots to think about here. But she was so passionate and unwavering in her belief that, you know, Trout had murdered her daughter and this is how it happened. And I believe that because she told me. Right. Um, She wasn't dismissed. She was actually heard. I love that for her. And the defense team tried to come at her kind of hard. They tried to get her to slip up. Yeah. Right, as they always do. But really, the facts ended up actually just proving her point. What she claimed to see in her dream was proven by the evidence. So whether it was her dream that told her or not, it didn't matter. It wasn't like you had to believe the word of the ghost she said talked to her. But it was that you needed to believe that the coroner's second look at it determined that her neck was broken in this way at this time from this kind of force. And so, damn it, if a ghost tipped me off, so be it. But that's not the case. But that wasn't what it was all riding on. Right. Evidence they'd really never have been led to, if not for her daughter coming to her in her dream, of course. But yeah. evidence nonetheless. So, of course, they had his violent history. Mysterious death of his previous wife. And things were not looking good for him. Good. Prior to the trial... Uh, he was, as Colin Robinson from What We Do in the Shadows <laughs> would say, cool as a cucumber. <laughs> uh, he had kind of kicked up his feet and said they'd never find anything to prove it, and he was not worried about it. But during the trial, this was not the case. Oh. He was sweating it. He testified in his own defense, which did not always happen, and in this case did not help him because he just seemed to ramble. He was coming untied. and uh, He did. He... He unraveled, if you oh, will. Man. Uh, but he was kind of rambling and didn't have much to say in the way of like defending himself. And really, he just ended up being like, look, look me in the face and tell me if you think I'm guilty. Right. Look me in the eye and tell me I'm guilty. Just look at me. Okay. And they, and they were kind of like, that's a guilty motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like he is whew, guilty. But he didn't have anything to say that he didn't do that. He couldn't deny it. All of these things. So after an eight-day trial, the jury leaves to go deliberate. As they do. And they only deliberated for about an hour. Good. And they reached a verdict. Guilty. Of the 12 men on the jury, 10 of them had actually wanted him put to death for his crime. Shit. But because it wasn't all 12, he just got life in prison. So we got a cute little LWAP. Okay. Which probably didn't even exist at the time, but it was a life sentence for him. But a lot of people in the town were bullshit. Right. Because they agreed with those 10 that wanted him put to death. It was bad enough he did what he did and tried to get away with it. And now everyone's like, you probably killed your second wife. Yeah. So they were kind of like, uh, no. And what, what do angry mobs with pitchforks and like fire say they want to set him on fire and kill him and lynch him and do all the things that they're not supposed to do and trout thought it was just going to be a good old catch and release and here they are looking to fry him up for dinner well um stop it (laughs) you are sorry there are too many good ones in this there the fruit is right there you are very naughty sorry (laughs) it is on the lowest branch and you are just (laughs) grabbing it all but really a mob had formed Oh, my God. That wanted him dead. And so the sheriff 
hid him somewhere oh. else, like move, removed him from the jail, took him outside and hid him somewhere else <laughs> while he went and tried to de-escalate this angry mob that was pretty much threatening to like light the jail on fire if they yeah. didn't let them in to kill him because they so believed he was deserving of death that they were going to do it themselves wow wow, wow. and eventually i think even people got arrested for their acts while they were in that angry like it was not a good situation but the sheriff did end up talking them off the ledge if you will nice and trout was kind of like returned and then he got sentenced after that so okay he ended up actually being sent to the state penitentiary where he served his time but he was only there a few years because he ended up dying in the year 1900 of an illness that kind of like swept through the whole prison wow so that's where he that's just that was the end of him okay and mary jane she lived for another about another 20 years okay and she maintained what she said even after all was said and done she wasn't just like yeah well i needed somebody to believe me so i said what i said like she maintained what she experienced wow the whole time and she's like my daughter spoke to me and told me what happened and like i'd be damned if i was gonna let that just go yeah i was going to make sure that somebody the right person really did you know aren't moms the best they really are. Mary Jane did the whole thing. So she maintained her entire account of all of that. Love. And so we are left with a roadside marker today. Wow. And I will read it to you. And it's also on our Instagram page. So this is in Green Greenbrier County okay. in West Virginia. And it, it says Greenbrier Ghost. Interred in nearby cemetery is Zona Heaster Shoe. Her death in 1897 was presumed natural until her spirit appeared to her mother to describe how was she, how she was killed by her husband, Edward. Autopsy on the exhumed body verified the apparition's account. Edward, found guilty of murder, was sentenced to the state prison. Only known case in which testimony from a ghost helped convict a murderer. Damn. I love that. That's that's badass. So that's the Greenbrier ghost. That's the life and death of Zona Heaster Shoe. Ugh. And I like how they had Edward. They probably had to pay per letter on this roadside yep. sign. And Erasmus Stribling <laughs> Trout Shoe was probably a little much. But it actually is still today the only case where... This testimony was actually given given the mic. You know what I mean? Right. They, they didn't sweep that under. That was a big piece of it. That's huge. Of course, the evidence backed it up. But this ghost solved her own murder. That's sick. I feel I feel so bad for Zona because she obviously did not have a very long life. No, very brief. She could have done or gone or seen just so many more things than she had the ability to. Had she not just met this guy and... Who knows? Maybe there. I don't think it was this romantic tale. Maybe it was. Right. But I don't believe that it was this. She met him and it was sparks and butterflies and all kinds of, you know, pheromones and hormones and all the all the moans. (laughs) But I really I don't think that that was the case. I think that it was probably a little bit of it that he knew a trade that was valuable that he was newer and maybe she knew everybody else and 
he was older, seemingly successful, and needed to start over, and she kind of did too. Yeah. And so there's a, there's a lot of pressure with being a single young mother. Yep. In the 1890s. Yep. There was probably a lot of societal environmental pressure for her to get on that. Well, and I think about it too, right? So he's an abusive guy. I feel like I can say that confidently with oh, the patterns yes. we've established. Correct. Um, And you hear a lot in abusive relationships about love bombing. So in my head, right, maybe they see each other and she's like, well, that's a handsome looking fella I haven't seen before. Mm-hmm. And then he knows his trade and maybe he makes her something or like kind of dodes on her a little and is like, here's some love bombing to get us through the beginning. Mm-hmm. Get through that. Then he's like, oh, shit, she's got a kid. I mean, she's only three. I want seven mm-hmm. wives. Um, yeah, we can't do this. And then, I mean, naturally, as time goes on, people's true colors come out. But I'm very curious how much of it was like he seems older and like he should have his shit together so that can help me get my shit together or at least appear that way. Um. Because it sounds like, I mean, beforehand, yeah, I'm sure she was ostracized a bit from her community, but like between her and Mary Jane, it sounded like they had a pretty okay little bubble up until Trout. Yeah, I mean, her mom was supportive of her. Again, there's really no mention of other family. I think I think I saw something about her having a brother, but even that was unconfirmed. So right. I mean, unless it was written about and saved somewhere and pres- like, I don't really yeah. know how we would know. But I mean, in the 1890s, you were at the bottom of the of the totem pole there. Yeah. Like He told you what to do. He said this. He said that he could beat you if he wanted to. He could do yeah. all those things. What he couldn't do was kill you, though. And I think that was even before the rule of thumb. Law. Which, by the way, for uh, anyone who isn't a fun little CJ nerd, that was a law that existed for some time that said you could beat your wife as long as what you were beating her with was no bigger than your thumb. How sweet. Isn't that nice? Ain't that something. Ain't that just the way. Um, I do really appreciate, and I'm I'm really sorry because, yeah, just a blanket sorry for all the dad jokes, but glad that Mary Jane found Trout Fishy. You're not at all sorry. (laughs) You are not sorry. I am to a degree, but not enough to stop doing it. So, (laughs) (sighs) Uh, wow. Yeah. So, happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. And if you are listening later than Halloween, happy day. Happy spooky murder podcast. So, little fun spoop here. Little, um, just a little bit lighter. I mean, of course, this young right. woman was brutally murdered, and that is not at all good. That's not what I mean. But it has it has weighed on me a lot of doing these like family annihilations, uh-huh. <laughs> where I'm like, oh, this is like over a hundred years ago, and right. you know, this uh, the ending was good, and that it was like she had the last word. Right. I fucking love that. There's a little distance. There's some justice. We love to see it. I made a lot of great dad jokes. Um, you say great. We say, uh, well, <laughs> you know, I don't mind it. I'm I think kidding. I'm funny as hell. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, but really, it it uh, I love the fact that she got to end his life. Yeah, in that way, he didn't get away with it, and probably the future women that she saved by doing oh, that. Oh yeah, that's and, a huge one. And the bond between mother and daughter is is sacred, mother and child in general, but moms and daughters just have something. There's something. Have something different, something special, in that her mom never stopped fighting, and then twenty even lived longer than him, which I'm sure it was yeah. just even like the cherry on top. That I did love that. I was like, "Look at you go, bitch! I'm living mm-hmm. them all." Um, that was really good, and there were really good names in this one. Yes, like really good. Like we had the alliteration of prosecutor Preston. We had Nappy P. We had K N A P P. I know, but if he's going to say she took an everlasting faint, I'm going to say... You're going to call him nap pee-pee? He's going to be a nap pee-pee. Well... You know, if we can all just say whatever the fuck we want to say. <laughs> you mean, if the shoe fits. <laughs> hey! <laughs> all right, Welcome well... to the club. <laughs> well, thank you all for hanging out with us in our little corner of the true crime world. If you liked what you heard or you like other ones that you've heard and you just want to tell a friend, we'd love that. We would love it. And if you rated, reviewed, subscribed, downloaded, um, all the other things that, um, we're supposed to promote. that we're supposed to ask, even though I'm really not good at that part of it. So um, if y'all know what I'm trying to say, it would just be really helpful. Come and- along. Join the ATFTC fam. Um. Again, so we do have, obviously, wherever you're listening now, we are primarily on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, but we are on Google Podcasts, and uh, we are making our way to, well, I think we're on Google Podcasts, but there's some drama with that changing over soon. So I know. Um, all of that to say, we're wherever you're listening, we also have a link tree down below that should include any merch on Redbubble if you're into it, which... Keep an eye out for because as the hundredth freaking episode rolls around, there will be some new drops there. Um, also included in that link tree would be our Instagram where you could see all of your fun pod pet costumes. If you tag us, maybe we'll try to do a full like story of your pod pet costumes for Halloween oh today. Oh my, please. Um, but you can find us on Instagram at about time for true crime pod with periods in between every word. So that's A B O U T period T I M E period F O R period T R U E period C R I M E period P O D because podcast was too long. And if you're there, you can check out again people, places, things, any visual aids we have for these cases, but also memes and reprieves and funny little bits and resources and pretty much anything you can think of that you might want true crime related our instagram is actually pretty fun but you have to check it out yeah come see us there you could send us pod pets for a normal post pod pets for the story for halloween and also if you wanted to send us like case recommendations or your thoughts or views you could email us those, but Allie, where would they email us? If you want to email us, you would do that at about time, the number four TC at gmail.com. So that's A B O U T T I M E, numeric four TC at gmail.com. We cannot wait to see you there. We <laughs> love you lots and lots. And so, so much. Giving you all a cute little kiss on the cheek and a little boop on the nose. And just a reminder to trick-or-treat safely this Halloween. If you are partaking, please remember to tell people where you're going, share your location with a friend, 
I know we have some youngins that listen, so be good, be smart, and we can't wait to celebrate with you tomorrow after all of the sugar rush. <laughs> Hells yeah. And if I take a gander at my watch, that was About Time for True Crime. Bye. Bye. Ooh, the Halloween. Stop it. <laughs>